You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Evening, people. How are you? Welcome. Episode 67 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, hope you are well. Um, We'll give a couple of moments for people who are joining us live to join the room. Don't forget, if you do want to join us live, you can join via the Facebook page for Sports Therapy Association, um, or you can uh, join us via the live YouTube stream at the Sports Therapy Association uh, YouTube channel. Um, but if you don't want to join us live or you're in a different time zone or something, then um, obviously, um, as some of you are doing now, hopefully you can listen to the audio on the podcast. Um, if you do listen to the podcast and you enjoy it, then do please, 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 I say this every week. If you like what we do, then leave us a rating because it just helps the podcast raise and the Google ranking and everything. That's really important. So appreciate that in advance. Right. So uh, whilst people are filling up the live room, uh, my name is Matt Phillips. I'm the creator of RunCheckLive.com and the host for Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, this particular podcast happens every Tuesday at eight o'clock. It has done for 67 weeks in a row now. Consistency, the key to success. Um, and certainly in terms of feedback and regular people joining us live, um, it's been a fantastic success um, throughout the last 52 weeks plus. So a year and 50 weeks so far which is amazing it's flown by um happens like i say every tuesday at eight o'clock um and um if you do want to join us live then you don't have to be a sports therapy association member you don't even have to be a sports therapist um it's appeals and we welcome um anybody who works um in healthcare provision particularly if it's soft tissue um uh, therapy that you do so before we start with tonight's show, just a big thanks last uh, for last week's guest, Jamie Johnston of the Massage Therapist Development Centre, uh, shortened conveniently to the MTDC. Um, Jamie came back um, since his episode uh, 42 in March, where he was talking about how to stay evidence informed. Um, and last week he talked about the fear avoidance model, which was a fantastic, as promised, um, episode which kind of puts so many of the things we've been talking about together with regards to the biopsychosocial model um it, it's if, if you're not aware of it then essentially what we're talking about is the importance of realizing that clients or patients in fear may start avoiding stuff which is good in the short term because it means if you have sprained your ankle you're not going to go for a massive run across the downs or something and do it again but long-term avoidance um, can lead to complications. It can stop you from doing the activity. You won't recover fully. And as we talked about last week with Jamie, it can have serious repercussions in the sense of stress, anxiety, depression, um, losing your job, even down the road. And we're, sadly, we've seen patients this, uh, this is affected, um, losing livelihoods, careers, professions, and basically meaning to life without sounding too deep. So it's really important as a therapist that part of... Um, um, the care we are providing is to realize that what we say, what we do, the exercises we give uh, need to take into account that the person in front of us in pain could be afraid um, and we need to remind them of the robustness of their body um, in order to help them reach full recovery. So if you, did, if you missed it, then do check it out. It's on YouTube if you like the video. It's on the STA website, um, which is the STA.co.uk. Um, and also you can listen to the podcast, obviously, on all popular podcast apps. Right, that done. Tonight, drum roll, sports therapists, stop pretending to be physios. 
as expected, this has caused uh, some nice clickbait. I'm always slagging off clickbait on social media, but this week I joined the masses and I put something out there which I knew would antagonise people. Um, and and happily, we have had a few people um, emailing us going, "Oi, what are you talking about? It's best to be on our side. What's all this about? Stop pretending to be physios." But this is a nice lesson in don't just read the abstract. Look at the whole study, because the gentleman who we have with us tonight, Dr. David Rhodes. Um, tweeted this in context um, and there was a fascinating thread which as soon as I read it I thought wow this guy we've got to get on the show as you will see soon and um, for those of you who aren't aware of Dr David Rose he's the course lead in uh, Doctor of Professional Studies in Elite Performance at the University of Central Lancashire and um, qualified as a sports scientist in uh, 2003 the master's in 2008 the PhD 2017 um, and also has a long history of consultancy roles within football, including Salford and currently Motherwell as head of medicine and performance. That's where the interest is going to the, the intro is going to stop because I'm got a clue about football and don't really watch it. So I'm I'm already feeling embarrassed. I've even mentioned two football teams that I don't know, but that's okay. I know what I know. So um, I'm going to introduce you and bring up uh, Dr. David Rose, and also with us will be um, Gary Benson, founder of the Sports Therapy Association. Right, let's bring these gentlemen up. Gentlemen, good evening. How are you? Evening. I'm good. How are you? I'm feeling even worse now, admitting in front of you that I know nothing about football. I thought it was a good disclaimer at the beginning, but now I've got to talk to you. But congratulations on Motherwell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Scottish, Scottish Premier. Uh, I've been reading up. Fortunately, my, my, my father-in-law's down and he's from Wigan and he's very much into his football. So we had a little bit of a, a, a man talk last night about the class of 92 and the Neville's and all that and, and sort the history. And so I'm a little bit updated, especially in what you've been involved in. Um, so I don't feel too embarrassed. So thanks for joining us, David. No problem. Gary, big man, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, well. very well. Thanks, Matt. Just um, busy as always, but uh, always happy to come on and, uh, and put a bit of balance into some of these chats. Brilliant. I'm hoping we all need some balance tonight because I'm hoping that the clickbait, I've already apologised um, to Dr. David Rhodes about using his tweet as clickbait, but it's going to open the door to some really important discussion, which we kind of touched on in other episodes. Um, and if you are joining us live, I can see that Mark Noosey is in the house as well. Don't forget, if you have joined us live, whether on YouTube or uh, in the Sports Therapy Association Facebook page, you can comment. Your comment will come up on the screen along with your Facebook icon. So evening, Mark. Evening, Becky. Carol's in the room. Hey, Becky, how are you doing? Um, I'll talk to you later. Some of your comments today about um, who we could get on the show was brilliant. So thanks, Becky. I'll talk to you later on about that. That was great. Julia's here as well. Catherine's here. Um, hi, everyone. Listening while I do my CPD statement. Fantastic. Well, this is going to be great CPD and it's free. Um, and Stephen Waterson. So people, yes, do bring questions up um, for both David and Gary tonight um, uh, and stop me from talking when necessary. Can I, can I just say, Matt, that uh, I do remember uh, a comment you made to, to uh -oh. Mark a while ago about being ever-present, and, and that was a kiss of death. We haven't seen him since. Who was that? Oh, to Mark, was it? To Mark, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Welcome back. Sorry about anything I said to you in the past. Um, there you go. Um, it's been a world for live one. I hope that wasn't really stupid with me. Right. Okay. Focus on Dr. David Rose. David, for people who aren't aware of you, um, before we get into the topic tonight and, and, and the audacity of you tweeting what you did, then, yeah, what's your background, mate? Where, where have you come from and how have you arrived where you are? Um, it's a long story. Yeah, in, in short, I'll try and keep it short, as short as I can. Um, I started um, in sports science 2000, started my degree in sports science 
really enjoyed it. it I was just a sport enthusiast uh, just that kid who mum was always trying to push down and not trying to push down a different route but she was trying to said there's more out there than just sport. Well, that was all I was focused on, all I ever wanted to do. So I did my sports science degree, and lo and behold, in 2003 when I finished, not many jobs knocking about around sports science. The you know the, the sporting world isn't as, as large as it is now. Um, so picked up a lot of part-time roles, really. Um, non-league football, tinkered in professional, around professional clubs. And then decided if I stumbled on sports therapy, it was um, it was an injury I got when I was playing football, funnily enough, which most people, when you speak to how they get into our industry, it's usually an injury background, um, inquisitive. So kind of stumbled across that, like the look of it. At the time, I, I was teaching as well. I was, I was doing a PE teaching job. I picked up a PE teaching job in 2003, a long time, alongside part-time uh work in football and then yeah started the sports therapy and from there just launched into football full time and then higher education moved out of full-time football and then into consultancy roles into a lot of football clubs up and down the country fantastic so at no point there have you said you're a physio you're not a physiotherapist no 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 no. <laughs> definitely not a physio definitely not a physio and do you know what interestingly i looked at physio when i when i looked at sports therapy i looked at physio but it just didn't interest me it wasn't me uh, all the you know the general side of physio practice you know the great scope of practice that they get on their degrees but little bits of everything um pediatrics didn't interest me um you know working with the elderly respiratory wards, stroke patients, not, none of that was in my interest was was purely, if I'm being tunnel vision, it was purely football, uh, sport related. Um, and that's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted to work. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, the drive and the passion that, that I had for it has always been there. It dwindles more. The more you work in it, it dwindles. And the older you get, it does dwindle away. And you start thinking about what, what's life after football. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's, been, it's been a journey that, that I've loved every step of it. And, and I've loved the challenges that I've faced with it. And one of the biggest challenges, I, I, I do remember working in a football club. And it was me doing some... Um, it was me doing some intern work, really, unpaid in a professional football club. I remember the physio turning around saying, you will never work in football. And that's that, that, that was their statement. And that was the kind of red rag to the bull. It, it made me want to do it more. And it made me want to prove that um, for our industry, sports therapies particularly, it made me want to prove that there was a place for these people in, in sport because I actually believed in it a lot and believed in it strongly and believed what it stood for and the competencies around the profession um, and hence has, has, has led me working more and more in sport and into leaderships and leading performance teams, really. Fantastic. OK. Right. Well, look, I think we'll uh, for the people who are listening to the uh, podcast, I will read it out. But I think um, we'll jump straight into it, maybe and just read out the tweet, the tweet. And we'll bring up the screen. So anybody who didn't see it, we'll put a little bit of context. Obviously, there was more to it than just a hey, sports therapist, stop doing physios, as you will see now from tonight's show. But let me uh, just bring it up uh, onto the full screen. We can still see you guys, even though um, it will be on the full screen. Just select it here. Dun, dun, dun. 
and it is right full screen okay so quoting from david rhodes twitter account um, which is at dr david underscore rhodes this was august the 28th this is when the offense occurred and it was um i quote short thread colon i'm actually bemused by the sports therapy profession spent the last three weeks searching reviewing profiles analyzing degree programs where have the rehab specialists gone the sports science knowledge the strength and conditioning competency stop pretending to be physios don, don, don. right talk us through it david so talk what leading up to this tweet are you this sort of person who thinks about what you put onto twitter or are you kind of more yeah. as meekin character who just kind of puts whatever they're thinking at the time on no definitely 100 think about it and it's something that has been burning for I would say since since I went I, I went to UCLan in 2015 and I took over the sports therapy program at UCLan at the time, and it was um, a program that was in need of development. You know, it had, had had some good people in the past working on the program, but it had gone a bit flat and a bit stale. Um, and just I looked at the program and and the it was just crying out for a, a revamp. It was crying out for almost defibbing for want of a better word and livening up. And the, all of my, my background and, and experiences and mistakes that I've made mainly drove me to really think about this program and where it needed to be to get these people employed, to get these people jobs. That's why people come to universities. Ultimately they want a job at the end of it. And mum and dad, the Royal Bank of mum and dad won't carry on forever funding these things. So they need to um, they need to be able to assure parents they're getting value for the money as well, particularly in the current climate with the fees and 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 and, and the monies and, and where the where everything's at at the minute. So I looked at the program and it was crying out for more sports science in there, more S and C in there, more rehab, more. Um, application of understanding that injury process, the healing process, you know, bone healing, tissue healing, and how you can prescribe exercise at the correct times to get someone better. Because nobody ever got better with a mobilization technique on a bed. Um, It's a short fix. It will reduce pain, but it isn't going to take it away. And the only thing that takes it away or improves an, an athlete, particularly my background and Apologies for this. I, I have worked in private practice, but I will make a lot of reference to elite sport because that's that's where I'm familiar with and that's where I come from. Um, and all of it is about improving, improving athletes, improving people, finding out where things are going wrong, correcting and making them better. And we can't make them better just by mobilising tissue, mobilising joints. We can't make them better doing that. We have to have a... a a large amount of injury injury rehab prescription that will make these people better or improve them as athletes. Uh, and and that's that kind of drove the development of that program. Um, and I've sat in so many meetings, and then going back to 2011, I've sat in so many meetings where almost I can feel this frustration bubbling up about where this where it's going. You, you, a lot of programs in this country are delivered by physios. They are delivered by physios. A lot of the senior lecturers, a lot of the lecturers that deliver on these programs are physios. Absolutely nothing wrong with with physios delivering on these programs. Um, But what it has done is I think it's pushed the industry down a direction 
that it, it doesn't need to go down. It needs to be, it needs to be what it says it is ultimately, and we need to be what we say we are, and we need to understand what our profession is. And I think for me, you know, in terms of my development and and and, and my career path, and it's not the career choice of everybody, but I look at the skill set that's got me work has got me employed has kept me moving through um and it wasn't an obsession with being in the treatment room and probably if people go through my feed they will see something some comments along those lines is there seems to be an obsession with being in the treatment room there seems to be an obsession with running on a pitch in elite sport sports therapists don't need to do that there's so much more to the job than that running on a pitch on a saturday afternoon doesn't get the athlete back um being in the treatment room 24-7 and never stepping into a gym or not understanding where we prescribe, how we prescribe conditioning, how we improve power, how we improve strength, how we improve other components of fitness with gym-based exercises isn't – sometimes it, I think a lot of physios that I have conversations with that are graduating or coming into a, an elite sport environment, they – they will hopefully admit that they haven't got that background. They haven't got that background. And then you've got your strength and conditioner sports scientists who are now tinkering in rehab. And a lot of jobs that have gone out, particularly in football, because um, I see a lot of them, I get asked about them a lot. I get asked about who to employ, where to employ, um, who's good. Um, and a lot of clubs now are actually putting rehab prescriptive roles in strength and conditioners job descriptions in sports scientist job descriptions which is completely out of their remit and, and particularly with the money involved in in my sport football it could open a huge can of worms to litigation um there could be serious serious repercussions in the footballing world because of it and i think there's there's a lot of this now with people stepping out of not a, you know, not into other people's expertise intentionally, but because of the way that things have developed in 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 the elite sport environment, is that people are now starting to dip the toes in other people's water a little bit and crossing into you know, got physios injecting people. Well, a consultant radiologist is probably the best person to inject somebody who does it on a regular basis. We've got strength and conditioners who are prescribing rehab with no knowledge of inj injury or, you know, pathology or um, the healing process because they don't do that in their degree programs. Um, and then we've got, for me, the frustrations come where I, fe I, f I feel like from an employer's perspective, I've sat with numerous sporting directors, chief executives, chairmen, when they're looking at employment, they're looking at structures within football clubs. And everything gets talked about. Physios, strength and conditioners, sports scientists, chiropractors, podiatrists, whatever it is, whatever remit they are, doctors. But what seems to fall under the net a lot is sports therapy. And when you mention the word sports therapy, everybody's going, oh, what's, what's a sports therapist? Who are they? What, what do they do? And then when you start talking about what these people can offer and what they can do, oh, that's fabulous because we can almost kill two birds with one stone here. We've got somebody who can deliver strength and conditioning who can deliver sports science related work and the work that is specific to with that kind of environment um but can also apply it to an injury or they can be that you know that back up in the treatment room if it's needed if it's particularly busy at any time you can go in there and apply a little bit of knowledge in there so 
that's where the frustration really comes for me because there is a massive gap. There's a huge gap. And even when you talk to professionals and, and, and people within uh, the footballing world and elite sport world, players can often find themselves floating around in a bit of a quandary, really, floating around in the middle. They've cut out of the physio room. The physio's done everything that they want to do. There's players now paying free, you know, and ready to move on and progress the rehab. And then they, all of a sudden they'll get hit with, and this is, you know, I'm not saying this happens at every club, but all of a sudden they'll get hit with a strength and conditioner then just wants to absolutely hammer this player in the gym, build them, get them stronger, get them more powerful and be quite aggressive with their approach without any consideration of, of the previous injury. Because as we know, injury is, is a consideration for up to two years after, after they've been injured. And what do we see a lot of in the literature now? We see a lot of uh, recurrence of ACL injuries. We see a lot of recurrence of hamstring injuries, a lot of recurrence of muscle injuries, abductor injuries are on the rise. Uh, Gastroxylaus are now coming into play. And we're seeing a lot of recurrence of these things. Now, is it because we haven't got enough of us us, sports therapists, in that remit, filling those gaps and joining up the gaps between the strength and conditioner and the treatment room, whoever it is who's in the treatment room. And suppose that's where where everything comes from for me. And I've been going through a process at this moment in time of trying to employ or fill a gap where I or the club need and they require somebody who's got a good knowledge of injury pathology, but is very practically minded, can lead rehab effectively at this level, understand the use of GPS, force decks, groin bars, no boards, all these weird and wonderful applications that we utilise to monitor heart rate monitoring, etc. Um, and apply it. And the pool is getting smaller and smaller and smaller of these people that can do that. And they are missing the boat massively. And I think we have a responsibility, as and this is me my, with my university hat on now, we have a huge responsibility of, as, at universities now to look at this and go, are we meeting the demands of employment? Because I honestly do not believe that all degree programmes across the country are doing that. And I think there's a big, big um, divide between what universities deliver. Some might be heavy on rehab, but then you'll get the other side of it where they're very heavy on the treatment room and uh, emergency management and immediate management. Um, and as much as it frustrates me, there is, you know, there are specialisms that people can go down within the remit. You know, sports therapy, we go, right, we, we look at that immediate management. We look at rehab, we look at sports science, we look at strength and conditioning principles. You could specialise in one of those areas and be very, very effective in one of those areas and be very successful in a private practice. But when we look at elite sport, as much as it pains me to say it, and this is not a fault of sports therapists, it's not a fault of universities, this is a fault of the governing bodies, not recognising the competence that these people have in actually being pitch side. And I look at some of the stuff with the FA at the minute in terms of the level five immediate, you know, their emergency aid stuff, the ATMIF stuff, I'm the training physios on there, sports therapists on there, doctors on there, but they're actually training physios and sports therapists doing things that they will never, ever do because they are accompanied by paramedics. They are accompanied by doctors. They are never going to stick a needle in somebody's chest. They are never going to stick a big biro through somebody's throat. You know, it's not, it's not going to happen. 
in an elite sport environment because you have too many professional bodies. And that's that goes back to stepping out of remits again. Um, but And that is a frustration, and it has been a, a, a huge frustration of mine, these regulations set by the FA, the RFU. Um, they, they need to change because I'm a great believer, whether you're a physio, a sports therapist, a massage therapist, an osteopath, a chiropractor, it is the best person for the job. And it's to meet business demand. Um, the regulations do restrict that to happen. And that is a frustration. But do we sit there? Do we sulk about it? Do we mourn about it? And then say, we'll never get employed. Or do we go, well, where do I fit? If I want to work in an elite sport environment, where do I fit? And what skill set do I need to be able to do that? I've had several conversations with sports therapists in the last 10 years. And I, I think my advice has always been the same because you can see the gap is go and do your UK SCA qualifications. Go and do your basis accreditation. Go and get those things because all of a sudden you've opened a pool of jobs up. Sports science, strength and conditioning um, or sports therapy jobs, which we are seeing now come out a lot. There's a lot of sports therapy jobs coming out now. Um, they're just not labelled sports therapists, which is the frustration. Um, and, and briefly, myself and Gary had a, and you, Matt, we had a, a brief conversation about the, the, the email you'd have, Gary, about job applications, uh, or job adverts, and and people trying to put everybody on one job description. And actually, the person that might fit that remit a little bit more, when you look at it, is the sports therapist or the sports rehabber. And that's another one, is looking at, Sports therapy and sports rehab, what's the difference? Uh, I don't see any difference between the two professions whatsoever. Um, when you look at the, the uh, competencies of each each profession. Um, but if I'm a gen, I, I always try and put this because I, I work on basic principles. Whatever I do, I work on basic principles, you know, whether it's rehab, whether it's assessment, it's, it's always are the fundamental basics in place. And I always think if I was a general public member of public now and I was going, I've got an ankle injury, where do I go? And I see an advert for a sports rehabber. I see an advert for a soft tissue therapist. I see an advert for a physio. I see an advert for a chiropractor and osteopath who obviously they, they, they're in the remit of sports injury as well. You often see it when you drive past the private practices, sports injuries. Um, where am I going? What am I picking? Um and, and that is, again, it's, it's almost a loss of identity for professions generally. Where do we all sit? What are our roles? What do we specialise in? And what are we bringing to the table? So much there to start picking apart. I can see the, the, the vein in Gary's forehead recording and thinking, I've got to ask some questions now. So I'm going to let him have a go. Just think, I mean, it's always a sign as well that the live feed has gone very quiet and Becky's just summed it up saying, I'm sat here nodding continuously. Well said, David, clap, clap. Um, right, guys, if you've got any questions, Gary, I, I can tell is ready to go. He's got so much to ask. But um, if you guys listening have got anything to ask, and on YouTube as well, anything you want to fire off uh, with regards to what David just said, the many kind of things we can dip into now and, and go ahead. But Gary, I have a sensation you'd like to ask something. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll start with a few statistics if I can. Um, there are, apparently, there are if you believe what you read on the internet, there are thirty-eight accredited sports therapy degrees. There are twelve unaccredited. Let's just round it to 50, 50 courses in the country, with an average of thirty 
um, candidates per course. That gives you 1,500. Um, 65% of them won't work in sports therapy after 18 months because there are no jobs. The SDA has 1,000 members. Less than 7% work in professional sport, never mind elite sport. So the I, I fully take on board and respect the thing about that you won't get better in the treatment room. But all these people who've paid £27,000 for a three-year education in sports therapy who can't get into uh, working in professional sport, who can't get into elite sport because there just isn't the jobs, um, they've got to do something. They've got to pay the bills. So they are, unfortunately, you know, pushed towards private practice, and that's where they learn their, their crust. Now, if we look at the standards on, on sports therapy courses, um, if you look at standards of sports therapy, and, I, and I've harped on about this, you know, a million times probably, but the, the, the National Occupational Competencies, competencies which are owned by the sector skills councils were, were consulted on in 2008, adopted in 2009 and expired in 2014. Since then, there's been no will of the industry to update the occupational competencies, some of which, and I had an email about this today, still talk about um, pulse light therapy, magnet, magnetic therapy, infrared therapy, ultrasound, all modalities which have no uh, evidence base of efficacy of use. So un unless the industry gets its own identity and promotes its own identity, then, you know, we are on hiding to nothing. And, you know... <laughs> I do think, David, that one of your points was slightly contradictory. In, in, in earlier, you said about, you know, stepping on other people's toes, and yet your advice is to go and do the UK SCA or the basis accreditation when we are a sports therapist. Are we then not in danger of treading on the uh, the sports scientists or the strength and conditioning um, roles? Or are we trying to carve out a niche that we are a, a jack of all trades? Uh, because let's be honest, unless you're in elite sport, the clubs that we're talking about are only employing one person to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, first one is, you know, I fully agree with you, your comments about the amount and the percentage of, um, you know, people employed in, a, in elite performance, elite sport. Um, you take football, for example, there's 92 league clubs, 92 football league clubs. So, you know, in theory, Yes, there's more than 92 jobs, but let's say you times it by three as an average, you know, that 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 isn't going to cater for every single person on a sports therapy degree. But I would then counter that in terms of looking at law degrees or accountancy degrees or maths degrees, geography degrees. Is You know, where, where I think the university market is saturated. Now, in terms of students, it's a lot of a lot of numbers of students. There's large quantities of students doing degrees now, and I think you see it generally across every occupation where they're actually now looking for higher qualifications, masters qualifications. You now need to have a masters to get twenty five grand a year. Well, look at your investment of that money to get twenty five grand a year. It, it doesn't it doesn't balance so. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. The, the percentage of people that will get into elite sport is small, um, but it doesn't stop. I, I, I do strongly believe that a lot of the things and a lot of the principles that we've talked about, rehab, out of the treatment room, into the gym, are the things that will improve people. You know, we, we see a lot of evidence all the time, osteoporosis, what makes them better, lifting, loading, um, makes them stronger. So, 
there still needs to be an application that in, in, in private practice for me. Exercise prescription is key to making anybody better and improving them. And, you know, I've been in private practice and we all get those patients through the door that have zero interest in in doing any exercise that you prescribe them, give them or take them in a gym to do. Um, And they do just want to become and get treated. But I think ethically, there's got to be an understanding there of, listen, we can treat you. We can reduce your pain, but you will be coming back for this once or twice a week to maintain your pain being down. If that person is, is is perfectly fine and well doing that, then great. Great for business because it keeps bringing the money in. And I fully agree with you. People do need to work in private practice. They do need those skill sets, um, which leads me on to the next thing in terms of, I think the big push, I mean, a lot of the conversations I've had are with sports therapists, not at my university, um, funnily enough. Um, I get contacted quite a lot through Twitter. Um, and we end up having phone conversations or Zoom Zoom chats. And, and that is the advice I give them for the simple reason of they haven't covered those areas in their degree. They, that has failed them in their degree. If they had a good understanding of strength and conditioning, had a good understanding of sports science principles, then I wouldn't be telling them to do that. But the other side of it and the flip side of it of the coin is that a lot of the pe- these people that contact me want to work in elite sport. Those two qualifications are hugely recognised for practitioners in sport and they are listed, particularly in the Premier League now, they're they're listed as essential criteria for jobs. Now, for example, one job that went out about four months ago, I won't name the club, but was for a strength and conditioning and rehabilitation coach. Now, is that not a sports therapist? In my mind, that is a sports therapist. Um, the only thing you probably didn't have on there is, you know, being comfortable around the treatment room or, or be able to mobilize a joint in the gym. You know, if you're getting a bit of restriction on dorsiflexion, can we mobilize that joint? Can we then get a little bit more out of that exercise in the gym? So that was probably the only thing that was missing out of that. But one of the essential criteria on that job was the UKSCA qualification. So that's kind of why that would be quite strong advice for me to open that job pool up for people. Yeah, I've, I've done a number of visits to universities and um, I'll, I'll just mention one. I went to York St. John and, and was uh, invited by Jamie Salter, who's um, part of the programme team there. Um, and we spent the whole day in the strength and conditioning gym. The fa- facilities were excellent. I've been to other universities who teach a sports therapy degree that doesn't have a gym. Yeah, 100%. And then up against. 100% agree. I think the standards have to be raised by the bodies, by the professional bodies. Ultimately, they need to look at the, you know, and this includes Basrat, this includes the the Society of Sports Therapists. Um, You know, they need to go and look at that and go, are we demanding standards out of our universities to ensure that we are meeting our competencies? Because I could, I haven't done it. But I probably could guess that at least 50% of the degrees, if I walk around the country and walked in, are what you say. No, no, Jim. No um, contemporary pieces of equipment that they need to be aware of or they need to have experience of utilising. And you can look at a lot of things, GPS, force plates, um, no boards, IKDs. The, the list is endless, as you know, it, it particularly. And these things are filtering into private practice. People have these pieces of equipment in private practice, but you're 100% right in where you mentioned ultrasound, you mentioned interferential, you mentioned TENS is still on a competency. 
where are the, these things are extinct. You don't see these things in private practice or in elite sport. Um, so why are we still trying to tick those boxes? And that, and that that's what's kind of killing the profession is because now they haven't been refreshed. You rightly said 2014. They haven't been refreshed since then. Why are we not putting things in there that are going to make people more employable? Yeah, well, I, I spoke to a university from the south of England today um, via email, and they, they identified one of the competencies of skills for health, and it was uh, electric modalities in a sport and activity context, and said, you know, do we really have to teach this? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, but because it's a current, albeit out-of-date, occupational competency that's still a, a valid standard at the moment, we have to identify it to the cohort and say, but this is what the evidence now says. Mm. that we shouldn't be using these. As you say, they are outdated. They, they should be extinct. Unfortunately, they're not extinct in, in, in many private practice clinics, um, you know, multidiscipline clinics, for example. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's heartening to hear that, you know, that, that people like yourself are, are questioning it because we need more, more people from elite sport and from professional sport to start questioning these standards because there's no will of the industry to consult on them. One of the major stakeholders in, in sports therapy – runs a training course at, at level five um they've got no interest in in consulting on standards which would make their course um inaccessible or or worthless in 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 terms of time and, and investment um we've got another major stakeholder who uh, you know who I, I don't know if you watched it but on chewing it over with jack chew a couple of months ago he invited professor smith um, who's the chair of the Society of Sports Therapists, but also a board member of the CSP. Um, and I'm never going to disrespect anybody in this industry who puts a, 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 you know copious amounts of work into develop, developing the industry. I probably don't agree with some of the things that are happening, but one of the interesting points was he, he, he in, inferred that he one of the first things he did when the Society of Sports Therapists started was that he benchmark the, uh, the the minimum qualification or the minimum standard for working in in professional sport uh, in, in a medical team has been a, a physiotherapy degree which i thought i i couldn't see the, the reasoning behind that i thought it was a conflict when we are talking about sports therapists what we should have been doing was saying well as you identified the sports therapist is the one who fits these these um, job descriptions who has these specific skill sets that are, are required mm. and would be cost effective because they can do the the strength and conditioning they can do the rehab you know they can do a little bit of mobilizing in the gym with the soft tissue work they do have the you know the on-pitch skills so it, we would be better value for money than probably employing three different um, professionals mm. yeah yeah, definitely. Particularly at the lower levels of, you know, if you look at, at football, League Two, League One, where budgets aren't huge, then then you need somebody in that. A lot of clubs will just employ one physio at first team level, and that will be that person looking after the medical, the sports science, the strength and condition, and trying to input on all of those things. And because of budgets and because of the... Um, salary structure within the NHS for physios because obviously they've got an eye, you know, they, they, they've got a set salary structure. So clubs are now looking at that saying, oh, we have to pay 30 grand a year. We have to pay 35 grand a year to get somebody in. Um, and then that's all they can afford. But what they're attracting or what they tend to be attracting because they're at the lower end of that NHS scale and salary is um, they're attracting graduates or one-year qualified physios. And actually... 
they haven't got the skill set to be able to go in there. A lot, you know, there's a lot of physio degrees who do six weeks on musculoskeletal. And now they're going into an environment where all they are going to see is musculoskeletal injury or, you know, musculoskeletal problems. And they're asked to diagnose, treat, condition, return to play. All of the things that sports therapists would spend three years doing on their degree program. And they would they would be analysing, looking at in depth of how they improve or return that person effectively to full function, um, and to tick the boxes of what what the club what the clubs or the elite environments want, which is they want value for money out of the extortionate wages that they pay their players. Um, so it, it it's a merry go round that that just keeps going round, and until somebody steps up to the plate and. And, st- and steps up and says, well, actually, no, we need to stop. We need to do more about this. Then it, it will just continue to go around. But m- my biggest worry and my biggest fear, hence the strength of the tweets that I've put out there, is that the profession will die. It will die. And I think we're beginning to see the the evolving now gradually. Strength and conditioners are getting these rehab roles. Sports scientists are getting these rehab roles. They're not being advertised as sports therapy roles. And even though, they're, you know, I see a lot of lecturers going on there, retweeting, saying sports therapists, get your job applications in for this. This is a sport. It should be on the title of the job description. And that is it. A sports that we need a sports therapist. And that's it. And the title of the job description is first team sports therapist, academy sports therapist. That's what it should be. But what we're seeing a lot of is academy sport, casual academy sports therapist. To do what? To run on the pitch, to manage the injury, to get them into the treatment room, pass it on to the physio, and then to go and stand pitch side and get soaking wet and freezing cold on a Tuesday night. And that's what we're seeing a lot of. And that is where the... Or we're seeing soft tissue therapist, essential criteria, uh, undergraduate degree in sports therapy. And they're the jobs that we're seeing. So we're being tagged with two, two straws, really, in the fact that it's either... You're going to be doing massage in a treatment room two afternoons or three afternoons a week or every day. Or you're going to be stood pitch side, just filtering, acting as a go-between, really, as because the, the physio is inside dealing with whatever they're dealing with. So you're just fetching from the pitch, putting in the treatment room, going back, standing on the pitch side again. Now, for me, if I was 21, 22 again, and I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, well, what am I doing in 10 years' time? Where am I in five years' time? And actually, you, you look at the structure now of, of elite sport, and I, I don't think we're too far away from performance directors being introduced in football. I don't think we are too far away from that. We've got sporting directors. I think it's crying out for that American model of a performance director. But even like heads of performance now, what happens a lot is physios get shunted into those roles because they've been at the clubs a long time. They've got an understanding of the game. They have developed, no doubt, they've developed the rehab skills and, you know, their understanding of the principles that we've talked about tonight. And then they can go into these heads of performance roles. There's an immediate block for a sports therapist to go into there. But actually, my argument would be, who's the best type of person to have in that role? Somebody with a good understanding of sports, saying strength and condition and injury, because you can make a balanced decision about what you think should be happening with your team or your your player that you're managing or your group of players that are managing. And that's that's where I am at the minute is I, I sit in that role and I, I, I've, <clears throat> and I don't want this to come across an attack on any profession, any way, shape or form. I work with some fantastic physios. I work with some fantastic strength and conditioners, sports scientists, sports therapists. 
and the you know they're great and they're all superb in their remits. But I sit above that now and I kind of make the decisions. And sometimes there is a disagreement between the physio and the strength and conditioner because physio wants to hold back, the strength and conditioner wants to pull off. And and what I'm saying is, well, actually, I can hear what you're saying. I can hear what you're saying. This is this is what we'll do. This and there's, and there's always somewhere in between. But I think. To be able to make that decision, you need to be educated in all those areas, really. Um, maybe I had a, a better start at the career, at the start of my career, because I was sports science, so I was always interested in that side of things of, you know, of, of delivering principles of training and all, you know, they, they are all basic principles. How do you get fitter? You overload. We overload that player. We get them fitter. Um, and, yeah, it's become a little bit more detailed now of the things that we can look at. And we can be a little bit more intricate with that and a, a lot safer. But I think, the, you know, there's, there's there's just a huge pull. And, and like I said, my worry is that if we don't do something and we don't step up as a profession, we are potentially going to fall out and fall behind, which I think is happening already. Hmm. Matt, right, let's go to some, yeah, yeah, go we've got some interesting questions and comments coming through now. I want to go first to because obviously I'm interested to hear from a physio what physios are saying because um, I particularly made a point of posting this in the um, therapist and physio support group with Jim Oliver because, um, like you said, it's good and bad in every profession, and we're definitely not we can't attack one profession because we're all on the same page in the sense that it's the person, not the professional, the certificate they've got. But that said, so I want to give time to Anthony Stevens here who I'm I don't know if you are a physio, Anthony, you can just let me know um, in another comment, but I'll read out what you've put. Um, Anthony Stevens says, I have to disagree wholeheartedly regarding the six weeks uh, MSK experience for physios. Do you think for the other three years that physios are twiddling their thumbs talking about totally unrelated structures? Could be a bit of a straw man argument there, I'm not sure. But is that what you're saying, David, that they're twiddling their thumbs? No, absolutely, absolutely not. The, the scope of practice, you know, I've, I've been involved in... Um, development and validation of physio programs and, and I know what the physio programs look like they, they'll cover a lot of scope in terms of pediatrics um, stroke um, the elderly respiratory there's lots of different areas that they cover and, and again there's a lot of difference between physio programs some will do more MSK than others it very much depends on the uh, the team of lecturers that they've got there. It's probably similar to sports therapy in a lot of respects in the fact that if you've got a team of physios that are all treatment uh, assessment, treatment, MSK-based, treatment room-based, for want of a better expression, then you're going to get a sports therapy degree program that's very centred around that. And that's a piece of advice I always give to people that ask me about going on to sports therapy programmes, physio programmes, is depending on what you want to be when you finish that programme, have a look at your skill set of your lecturers, have a look at their backgrounds, see what they are about and see see if that suits you. And actually, don't go to the university that you think is the best university. Go to the university that is the best fit for you in terms of where you want to be in your career or where you think you want to be. Um, so I, I think, you know, in, in response to Anthony there, listen, you know, sports therapists do spend three years doing MSK and solid MSK. And that's what they look at. Physios don't do that because they've got a hell of a lot of other things that they need to consider to be effective practitioners in their remit. Um, and that isn't a, a weakness of the programme. It's actually a strength of the programme in the fact that they're, they're looking at other areas. But it's, it's, it's one thing that they need to do to be a physio. 
with, and you know, I've been talking about being a sports therapist there. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's always going to spark debate. It's always going to spark contra- controversy between professions and people think it's an attack of professions. It's certainly not that. Um, as I've said, I've worked with some brilliant physios, sports therapists, strength therapists, sports scientists, but I've also worked with some terrible ones. And they might think I'm terrible in terms of what I do and how I deliver things. And that just means we're not a good fit as a team. Um, but we are, there is a there is a whole circle there where there is a place for everybody. But people have to be clear in terms of what their remits are. And I've had conversations with several governing bodies across elite sport. And there is general concern now about the remit of practitioners and what practitioners are doing. And this is from doctors um, right through the chain of sports science, strength and conditioning, sports therapy, physio. They are concerned about what people are doing in practice. It's such a shame that um, it's got to the stage that people are thinking, oh, should I do sports therapy or physiotherapy? And they've got this idea that there's a difficult decision to make there. But what you said makes it quite clear that they're very much very different and when i see when i speak to students who are interested they're not quite sure most of the people who go on to sports therapy with me or sports massage therapy are like oh but i think i want to be a physio i really don't know what to do and even though i try and help them say well look you go to a gym you love exercise you want to work with sport you're not interested in like you say um working with children or the elderly or intensive care or blah 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 you want to work with sport so why are you considering physiotherapy? Why do you want to spend, I mean, physiotherapy is going to cover all this stuff you're not interested in now. And even after that conversation and saying it to them, obviously I'm not explaining myself very well because they're still walking away thinking, oh yeah, but I really, I think I need to be a physio. Mm-hmm. It's massive. It's like we've talked about before, this imposter syndrome or this idea that physiotherapy is the ultimate and anything you do underneath is inferior. And and as we've talked about before, it's we can't just sit back and whinge and complain about it. We've got to sing and shout out more about what a sports therapist does. Mm-hmm. And if we do do jobs, I've worked with a football team for a while. And every time that the players and the manager call me a, a oh, physio, I'm not a physio. I wore purposely got a jacket with sports therapist on the back. So I'll be running down the side and they see I was a sports therapist. Whereas I know that other people just go with it. You know? And even clients will say, oh, yeah, well, I decided to come and see because I knew I needed to see a physio. And they'll just let it go because I think it's not important. But that, I think, is a really important factor. We as sports therapists need to be more proud of what we do and recognise that it's not its not that one's better than physio or worse. It's they're totally different careers. You know? And I think we're seeing it in the NHS. I've been involved. I, I, I was involved about three years ago with, uh, I can't remember the company's name, but it doesn't really matter. But they, they were heavily involved with NHS and and. Um, and employment of staff within the NHS and they recognise the need for sports rehabilitators, sports therapists within the NHS. And we are seeing that. And the jobs seem to come out a little bit more down south, but that tends to be the pattern. It works up, it works from London and starts work creeping its way back up the country. But um, we are seeing job adverts out there for sports rehabilitators, sports therapists to go in and do those rehab roles within the NHS. Um and are working alongside physio. It was very interesting, that conversation, because they wanted them alongside the physios. They didn't want to be above them. They didn't want to be below them. Um, it was alongside, and they were looking at salary and pay structure too, um, to try and generate that jo- those jobs and, and get the PCTs to buy into those job pathways for 
for therapists and rehabilitators to go in. And my understanding of it, and I might be completely wrong here because I'm stepping out of my remit a little bit, but PCTs have a decision on how they spend their budgets. So if they see value for that profession and that role, they can go and advertise for that role, put those people in place and put them on um, identical pay scales to, for example, physios and work through the bands as physios do. Um, but that's that was a huge thing for me because that was a real recognition of, hang on a minute, physios, fantastic jo- doing their job in there, but actually there's a need to stop these people coming back. So let's rehabilitate them, let's educate them, and let's give them prescriptive exercise and work them through those processes that we're seeing. And hopefully that will ease the demand on the NHS. And that was kind of the simplistic theory behind it. It sounds great in practice, a lot more difficult to implement in in that environment, definitely. But it was just that recognition that was a real light bulb. And it was like, wow, are we getting somewhere? Is this moving forward? But actually now I think as universities and and as, as bodies, I think we're actually failing that drive that came and that push that came for those jobs we're actually now failing it because we're not getting our sports therapists across universities unilaterally standardized and saying this is what needs to be covered and we're still seeing ultrasound interferential tens etc etc that we don't need to see Matt, I think um, Emily Osborne makes a point. Uh, I'll read it out. I think there is a large issue with students worrying about not getting jobs post-grad. A lot of my classmates have gone on to do physio masters just so uh, they can apply for MSK-based jobs. It's really sad to see. I mean, my response to that, Emily, would be that, you know, this is not a new thing. And, and if one of my five kids was was looking at a sports therapy degree, I'd, I'd be asking them, what are the job prospects on completion, you know, where is the £27,000 investment and three years of your time going to lead to? And and you identify another problem with academia, in my opinion, that, that people who do a sports therapy uh, degree get, then go on to a physio master's or a sports therapy or a sports science master's, particularly if it's a funded place, will be expected to teach on the sports therapy undergraduate programme, even though they're not occupationally competent sports therapists, even though they may never have done that role they will be involved in the teaching. And I think that is one of the biggest problems in our industry. But, you know, I I gave some statistics before. There aren't that many jobs in in sports therapy, um, you know, in professional sport. There are some, you know, lower paid jobs in non-professional sport um, and and, and amateur teams. But, you know, as I said, less than 7% of of STA members work in professional sport. And, you know, I will admit that we... (laughs) The Sports Therapy Association is part of the problem. We started off in 2014. I, I identified a problem in 2013 when I was working at a sort of a national council level that people with a foundation degree in sports therapy or what was called a two plus one, which is a foundation degree with, a, with an option to upgrade to the full degree, weren't represented by any association. The Society of Sports Therapists said that they wouldn't accept them for membership. So we began as an association for people with a foundation degree. Um, we have, um, over a period of, of seven years, 
um, diversified because of the level of support that we we give our members and you know we are uh, it, it is commented on, on on a lot of the forums that we are very supportive but part of our remit now has we widened that envelope because we now accept members of soft tissue um, therapists and and we we can then give them adequate guidance and and, uh, and with regards to progression training so we we are slightly diversifying we are slightly uh, if you like diluting the sports therapy title uh, but we are very clear and we do categorize our members based on their level of education and their specific uh, qualification. It was interesting, if you recall back with Gemma, Oliver and Andy Hosker, they were talking about the fact that, uh, again, it was about employers looking for what people can do rather than the qualification they've done, because they were noting that there's a distinct lack of people being hired for traditionally traditional physiotherapist posts in private practice. They were asking for physios, not finding what they needed. And Jim Oliver, physio, Andy Hosford, physio, were saying we need to open this up because there's a lot of sports therapists here who could fill that job because they've got what the people are asking for, but they insist to advertise it as we need a physio. Um, Helen Stone here, I'm going to read this one out because I have directed I've, I've, hopefully there's people listening to this who are in this dilemma of i want to do physiotherapy i know at least three or four students i've got um will be listening so here's um again it's n equals one one oh it's n equals two now i think and someone else mentioned it but this is um helen stone says my daughter's completed her physiotherapy degree a couple of years ago and exactly one module of six weeks those who uh, that wish to practice msk went on to study it further in order to specialize it was also made clear that if you wanted to work within sports this was not the degree to do now we're not slagging off physiotherapy we're just trying to clear it up that if you want to work in sports i don't think anyone teaching a physiotherapy degree would necessarily viciously disagree with this if you want to really specialize in msk and working with sports injuries and all the other magnificent things to do with helping people involved in sports physiotherapy is probably not the best way to spend your years you know go into one of the sports therapy degrees and that's not it's not an argument it's not putting physios down it's just trying to clear up this confusion probably all started because traditionally when we used to watch matches of the day or whatever it was physio plastered across the back with a sponge it's just like a bit like hoover it's a word that's come in to describe anybody who helps somebody in pain it's a physio what we can do to change that well we've talked about in a in a few different episodes but like David and Gary have said, it starts probably with us just speaking out our name more, applying, like Gemma said, maybe to jobs which are just asking for physio and saying, I saw you, 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 um, you know, looking for somebody here. And I know you said physios, but here's my job spec. Here's my CV attached. You might find I've actually got what you need, even though you've asked for physio. Do that. There's nothing wrong with it. Because coming from the horse's mouth, Gemma and Oliver is not a horse, sorry, but coming from the physio's mouth, she knows what physios have got and what you guys have got. And she reckons employees will turn around and go, you know what? looking at your cdu exactly what we need sorry about that yeah coming in for the interview so it starts with us probably um yeah there's a point so, yeah. from fiona um fiona higgs there um who's been a, a guest on here before matt um mm. definitely an issue yeah. with the understanding of the general population and sports organizations perhaps an sta stand is needed at some of the big conferences attended by management of teams i.e the fa conferences to push the definition of sports therapist well you know in response to that fiona i, I have looked at that and and to get a place at a conference you know of that nature you're looking at spending in excess of five thousand pounds 
which we don't have those those available resources. Plus, you know, the FA have al- already got a working relationship with um, the CSP and the SST, um, and it's pretty hard to break into that. Uh, so what we have to do as an association, we have to go about our job diligently and professionally. We have to raise standards. We have to police our members. Um, and, and we are, you know, making inroads. And we do now have a contact at the FA, and, and our graduate members can attend the FA um, first aid courses. And, and every week I get an email saying, can you confirm that these are graduate members of the STA? Um, so we are making inroads, but albeit slow. Um, but I would love to go to some of the conferences. Um, we're the only association, in fact, that goes to the elite sports therapy uh, or sports performance in uh, XL in London and the NEC. Um, Ollie from Basrat, I see him at the NEC uh, at Therapy Expo, and he has been to the um, the elite sports show at, at XL. But none of the other associations go. Yeah. Um, we're going to have you back on the show, Fiona, by the way. Um, thanks for joining tonight. You reminded me. I want to get you back for another. <laughs> um, I'd love to have you up here again talking about what you know. It'd be great to have you. So remind me afterwards, Fiona, that, um, to talk to you about that. Um, Fiona comes up with a follow-up tweet just saying, uh, and again, we're not slacking off physiotherapy. I don't want to give that impression, but it's just noting the differences. Fiona says, um, uh, shockingly supportive students in uh UG sports therapy, the undergraduate sports therapy that have been taught by physio who knew much less, um, who knew much less and seemed to have less experience than the graduate teaching assistant. Different things. They're different things. Dr. Um, David Rhodes, what else can we do to help? How can we make your life easier and help you not have to put these tweets out there? Uh, well, I think, I, I, I think for me, just say, I think there's, there's, there's a, a lot of issues that need to be addressed. And I think one of, one of them from the offset is um, universities looking carefully about who they employ to deliver the program is one, you know, where, where is their skill set? I've always said this, there's always a, there's always an issue with, um, with universities, elite sport is those people making the decisions to structure a medical department or structure a, a course team tend not to be experienced in this this world or, or our world. They're, they're the kind of, you know, you, you sit with the sporting director and go, oh, I need a physio. What do you need a physio for? Well, I just need one because that guideline says I need a physio. Yeah, but we've got a physio in the building, so can we not have one of those so we can tailor and, and filter in some more, more, you know. And I had that conversation within two weeks of, of, of consulting at a club, and it was like, I've never heard of these sports therapists. What are, this sounds brilliant. This sounds like we've been missing this, you know, for the last 10 years. Why, why do we not know about it? Is it something new? Well, no, it's not a new profession. It's been there a long time. But then you've got the, the issue of academia where you, you get, as, as, as has been stated there, sometimes you might get a, a, a physio who's gone there to, be, to deliver on a physio degree and numbers have dropped on their physio degree. Okay, where can we put them on? We'll sidestep them into sports therapy. And now that you've got an NHS physio who's now delivering in sports therapy, that doesn't fit. And what is that physio going to teach? Well, they're going to teach how they treat MSK injury in a hospital, not how we treat it in private practice or how we treat it in a in a, in a, in a sporting environment or a sporting context. So there's a huge issue there around that. And I think there's the, the, the biggest issue for me and why that's kind of escalated is because there's not enough sports therapists working within elite sport in that in, in, in my environments. There's not enough sports therapists in there. So, you know, a, a natural 
path um, and I speak about some colleagues who are physios but actually were the old remedial gymnast Gary you might remember the remedial gymnast so they would they were look old I love the way he thinks I'm much younger than you just gonna bite that down they would classify themselves as sports therapists in in essence, but they got grandparented into the the, the CSP and the HCPC. Um, can't remember when, but I think it was the nineties. They got grandparented in. It might have been a bit earlier, um, but they they've gone through their career in elite sport, and then they've gone too old for elite sport now. Had enough of it. Had enough for seven days a week and all of that. What am I going to do now? Oh, I'll go and teach a sports therapy degree because they've got all of that experience in there, and they're the they're the people that you want delivering on those programs. You know, if they are a physio background, they're the type of people that you need. It's no good having somebody who's, you know, worked in one environment going into a completely alien environment and they're trying to tell people, you know, this is how we do it. This is what we do because it's not fit for employment. Um, the more sports therapists that work in elite sport, then they're going to come out of elite sport. They're going to go into potentially academia and start teaching this stuff, but they're going to talk, start teaching it from. And this is my issue generally with, with a lot of degree programs, sports science, strength and conditioning, phys, uh, not physio, sorry, sports therapy, sports rehab, is that you've got a lot of people working in there with actually no experience of, they've just been through the university system. You know, they've done the BSc, the MSc, they've done a PhD, and they've not zero experience of the practical world. But how are you going to, what's your delivery? What, you know, where are you coming from? Because you can't, you've no experience of practice, you've no experience of employment, you've no experience of demand and what, what the need is. And there needs to be either a need, a, a, a need from the universities to employ those type of people or a strong desire of the academics working to come and connect with people in employment. Come and connect with those people and they go, you're barking up the wrong tree with that module. Scrap that module. You need to have a module of this. Um, now, is that fear? Is it um, fear of going in and asking questions about things that you don't know? Well, it's one thing that I've always done is ask questions and never been scared to go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I still do it now. I still pick up the phones, people and go, I've heard this today, not quite sure what it is. What do you think? And, and I'll get advice and I seek advice from very good people. You know, I've worked with some superb people and I can pick up the phone and the good friends and, and seek that advice. But there has to be that drop of fear. That's, that's one drop of fear of going speaking to different professions, different people. There has to be a learning curve for the, uh, the, the academics in institutions about making courses tailored for practice. We have to do that. And then there has to be a recognition in elite sport and an education through elite sport, you know, right through the pyramids of all different types of sport of what professions are and what they actually do. I remember sitting with a sporting director and saying to him, OK, you're telling me you want a physio. What does a physio do? Well, he treats injuries. OK, is that it? What else are they competent in? What are the skill set they have? And they don't have an understanding of it, but then they're going out and employing people. And that's where I think eventually the performance director role will probably come into elite sport and it will sit alongside a sporting director because it will be someone who has a good understanding of each profession and can bring a team together, particularly at the top level where you've got 30, 40, 50 staff. Right, well, look, guys, it's 9, 10, so there's a lot of interesting... I mean, I'm feeling a part two, definitely, um, after this has gone out and a few people listen to it. Um, 
I mean, personally, the thing I'm thinking is, oh, I think it's about time we got rid of the term sports massage therapist. I think we got a distance sports massage or massage therapist, not with any disrespect yeah. to massage therapists. If you're a massage therapist and you understand your goal is to relax the nervous system, you cup away, you inject away, you do all of these things which can bring down pain, even if it's only temporary and make people feel better. You can specialize it. But as soon as you are working with injuries, then you don't want to be one massage in the title. You might still do massage. There's no disrespect to massage, and I do. But I think that's part of the problem. We've got to make people realise that a sports therapist might do a bit of massage, but it's not a massage therapist who's done a bit of a bolt-on. They're, they're very different, very, very different. I don't know how easy we can get rid of that title because it's such a massive industry. The sports massage therapy industry is huge. But they're the ones which are guilty of, of, of um, kind of keeping these myths and misconceptions and and poorly devised courses alive um but yeah i don't know just make sure please if you are a sports therapist just it's up to you if you want to use it but don't go just don't put instagram for a cup in and needling and all that sort of stuff do it if you want but just don't add to this image it's very difficult with instagram to put anything as visual as cupping um it's very different difficult to put anything which is going to make people look at your 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 instagram feed you know, especially if you're talking about education and listening and being em empathy. It's difficult photo of empathy. Just can't, doesn't look as good as cupping. But if you really want to help the sports therapy degree, then just try, still do it, but don't publicise it so much. Don't make people think sports therapist, oh, look what they're doing. Another picture of some exploding muscle or something sucked up with a cup. It's just not helpful. Even needles. Um, that's my two bit. Um, because there is a responsibility in what we portray, how we portray ourselves in, in social media. And lots, if you want to do cupping course, if you want to do needling and all that stuff, great. But don't. there's already this idea, is that what sports therapists do? And it's so not, you can do it a little bit, but it's such a small part of what we do. So take responsibility, now, people. If you, and I challenge everybody to do this, go after this, Google the definition of sports therapy and i guarantee you will find countless examples of a sports therapist uses a range of manual and electrical interventions for therapeutic effect yeah yeah you know we, yeah. we need to get a better definition out there you know we, we'll even though a therapist it. is bad even therapist yeah. implies kind of you know the operator and doing things to people it's a, it's a and also when you put on a t-shirt it just looks like the rapist which you can't get away from and that's annoying as well number of times i just put sports therapy because i've just got some printed for buying marathon and they made a mistake they put sports therapist i was like no i specifically don't want sports the rapist on my back i want sports therapy but, but and it's important i think the name's important but hey what do you replace it with what, what do you replace well, it well i've always said i'm sports a facilitator, a facilitator. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what i'm doing it's tricky right well look time's beating us people i'd love there's so many interesting comments now people have really warmed up in here um, I particularly, um, I just want to, oh yeah, Mike James, sorry, welcome Mike, hey, thanks for joining us. Mike just mentioned that um, he's spoken openly that an MSC physio was simply to open doors, that our bizarre industry wouldn't open without it. Um, so Mike, thanks for your input. Tim Allardyce, I thought you were in Tokyo, Tim, obviously back, congratulations to you, well done. Um, yeah, thanks, Tim says there's a demand for physios for a number of reasons, requirement of insurance companies, we didn't mention that, that's another big thing, isn't it? Got to have a physio in the clinic because that's a big consistent money earner the name physio being synonymous with sport long history being in the nhs sports therapists are breaking through and taking up many sports roles there's a lot there which um, i would like to have gone through but we haven't had time tonight because i want to let david um, be on his way so david thank you so much for joining us you've definitely you. sparked off the most um debate in the live chat since since summer people have now woken up now and um, we've got up to 50 something just in the facebook group so it's you definitely um um 
You can be proud of yourself, David. Of all the things that come in your life, this is probably to put there at the top. I can sleep well tonight. It's been like a therapy session. You can. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, brilliant. Um, what's uh, up for you now, um, David? Anything? What's What's the rest of the year got and hold for you? The rest You're doing of the some research as well in the Premier, aren't you? You're doing some interesting yeah, research. Yeah, so we're, with... we're doing a bit of work with the Premier League at the minute. Um, so, yeah, we've got some research funded in there. We've done... Um, we've set up the football performance hub at the university, so that's really taken off. Um, so who knows? Who knows where I'll be? Uh, I am doing the Therapy Expo. I'm doing a, um, a session at Therapy Expo um, in November, Fantastic. I think. Oh, Come and see talk we, yeah. We're there, so yeah, let's meet up. Yeah, I wander over. Um, so yeah, I've got that to do. Um, what are you doing there? What's, what are you talking about there? Uh, ACL rehab. Fantastic for footballers. Yeah, well, okay. sense around footballers. Yeah, he won't Definitely not. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I might actually that would be the first uh, presentation about football ever into my life, but I might do it for you. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, great. We'll have to meet up. I think we're going to do an episode in um, for the podcast late in October. I think we said which will be focused on a few things to do with therapy expo. So we'll mention it again there. Speakers who we know are going to be out there, yeah. um, and obviously, well, obviously Gary, I'm going to be out there this year as well, which would be nice. We've been there for quite a few years. So that's good to know. I'm glad, David. That's fantastic. We'll be able to actually see each other face to face in real life. Cool. Okay. And if people want to get in, well, Twitter is definitely worth following. People, if you're not following uh, David on Twitter, is that where you're most active? Yeah, I'm, I'm only on Twitter. I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, uh, it's the only one I can. I, I've not got many words to say, so Twitter <laughs> suits me down to the ground. Hundred characters is all I've got. <laughs> it's a good feed. It's a good feed. Um, yeah, I recommend you do follow it. And that's uh, Doctor David together in an underscore. Rose, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, right. Okay, people, right. Um, we better sign out. It's uh, nine sixteen. Thank you so much, everyone who has joined us live next week. Uh, so again, Tuesday at eight o'clock, we are bringing back. Oh, Dr. Claire Mitchell's back, fresh from her uh, car bike altercation, which you're probably aware of if you follow her. And her sternocervicular joint surgery, happily into rehab, and it seems to be progressing well. And she's doing like a tour of the UK, meeting Joe Gibson and all the other shoulder experts oh, while she can in the process. Um, and I think she talked to Jack the other day as well, which um, um, I'm waiting to listen to as well on um, chewing it over. So that'll be next week. it will be nice to hear from um, Dr. Claire Minchel again. But for now, from Gary Benson and Dr. David Rose again, thanks, Dave, for coming on. And thank myself, you for having me. Um, thank you. Thank you. We'll say goodnight. And we'll see you next week. Take care of each other. Um, Goodbye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.